listening to Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell. Welcome back to the podcast. We are today going to continue looking at the uh, Elevate Q&A conference questions that we received. And today's question is, what is the biblical answer to racism? Now, this was, a lot of people voted for this question, but it didn't quite make it into the top five. So we're going to pick it up now. And it's one we'd like to spend a little bit of time on. It is a very relevant question to our times. You, you may have noticed we are living in a time where racial tensions do seem to be on the rise, particularly on the American scene, but also across the world. I'm no expert on these issues. Most of my, my research has been done into a specific type of racism, in, in particular anti-Semitism. That's what I'm doing my PhD research in a field related to that. I've also looked into the background of the racism of the Australian Aborigines has come up in some other areas of research. Now, there's a lot of crossover in these issues, so that's why I feel that I, I can address this. For some reason, it seems to be that many associate Christianity with racism, uh, particularly a, a kind of white evangelical Christianity uh, somehow being portrayed as the enemy, and they are all inherently racist. Most of this, I have to admit, seems to be just because we absorb, we're media junkies in the Western world, we absorb a lot of what we see from the media, and a lot of the media comes from America, and it's these sort of tensions that are very, very rife on the American scene right now. We absorb them, and then we transplant them into our own situations. I want to try and stay away from all of that because it gets very messy, it gets very political. I want us to understand a little bit of the ideology and the history of racism, and then we're going to look at some of the theological aspects to it and present a, a view of humanity that is uh, biblically consistent with the Christian worldview. Because I, I believe this is actually an issue of anthropology, the study of man. It comes back to that question, what is a human being? Now, it's almost very hard not to offend someone with some of these issues. So I hope that we can do that without being offensive in any way. That's definitely not my intention. And again, there's much more that could be said, but I, I am only addressing this in the context of a, of a short Q&A session. So I, I might kind of open a few issues that do need further exploration, but we don't have the time to do that now. So let's jump back. I, I want to just take us back in history a little bit to the time of Darwin, 1859. You see, before the Darwinian revolution or, or was popularised by Darwin's book in 1859, when most people talked about race, they would be referring to something such as the English race or the Irish race. Now that changed in 1859. 1859 was when On the Origin of Species was published. Now, let me tell you the full title of that book. It was called On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favoured Races in the Struggle for Life. You see, that was the full title of the book. Now, the, the second half of that often gets missed off because it present some things that some people like to stay away from. I understand that in The Origin of Species, Darwin was not directly addressing human evolution in this sense. However, it was inherent to the theory, and he did address this in a later book called The Descent of Man. Darwinian evolution was inherently a racist philosophy. You see, let me explain. See, it, it teaches that different groups or, or races of people evolved at different times and at different rates, and therefore some groups are more like their ape-like ancestors than others. And this is, unfortunately, you, you see this sort of thing. If you've ever seen many of the, the typical monkey-to-man charts, you'll always notice that on the left-hand side, obviously where you get the ape, and as they gradually progress to the hominoids through to Homo sapiens, usually they end up progressing to a white male Homo sapien. And this gives the image or, or the perception that the more evolved races are the white races. And as we delve into the Darwinian literature, this is exactly the teaching that we find explicitly 
in these books. In Darwin's book, The Descent of Man, he says this, Darwin set out to discover, quote, the value of the differences between the so-called races of men. And this is what he's talking about here. You see, evolution did not create racism, and I'm in no way saying that um, people who believe in evolution are racist. That would be ridiculous. But I'm going back. What I am saying is that in the history, evolution has been supportive of some of the most racist ideologies in history by giving them scientific justification. You see, it has definitely contributed to it. I don't have to just say this on my own authority. Let me quote you uh, one of the world's leading evolutionists, Stephen Jay Gould, who says that, quote, Biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1859, but they increased by orders of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory. Now, this is what gave rise to the, the tragic story of people like Ota Benga, who was the African pygmy who was taken from Africa and displayed in the zoo in New York as a missing link. The Aborigines obviously were considered to be missing links and less evolved races at one time, and this is why many of the universities and the Museum and these people, we, we sent people over to collect their skulls. And quite often, the history of this is tragic. They were often killed for their skulls because they were considered less less evolved and less and less human. And obviously, the logical outworking of this was what we saw in the field of eugenics, social Darwinism. It was called, invented by Herbert Spencer. This is this is the tragic history and. We have to understand this as we formulate uh, public policy and as we formulate our understanding and conception of everything that goes into racism. There's much more that could be said. This is just one small part of it. So let, let's just turn away from this now. And let, what does the Bible have to say about this? You see, the Bible never uses the word race in reference to people. Okay, It describes all human beings as being from one blood. That's a quote from Acts 17, one blood. What it's basically saying is we are all related as all humans are descendants of the first man, Adam. And Adam was created in the image of God, and therefore every person has the same inherent worth and dignity. That is the teaching of Christianity. Okay, that is the mainstream teaching of Christianity. Sure, you can find a fringe group who disagrees with that, but that's not the case. We need to go back to the Bible on these issues. And if we present man with a view of man that is not right, we corrupt him. And I'm quoting Viktor Frankl there. Let me, let me read you his full quote. He was a leading neurologist uh, and psychiatrist. He, he survived the Holocaust. He was in three different concentration camps and all of his family were killed, except one, I believe. And listen to what he says. He says, if we present man with a concept of man which is not true, we may well corrupt him. When we present man as an automaton of reflexes, as a mind machine, as a bundle of instincts, as a pawn of drives and reactions, as a mere product of instinct, hereditary and environment, we feed the nihilism to which modern man is in any case prone. I became equated with the last stage of that corruption in my second concentration camp, Auschwitz. The gas chambers of Auschwitz were the ultimate consequence of the theory that man is nothing more than the product of hereditary and environment. Or as the Nazis like to say, of blood and soil. I am absolutely convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Treblinka and Medanic were ultimately prepared not in some ministry or other in Berlin, but rather at the desks and in the lecture halls of nihilistic scientists and philosophers. You see, it's a very powerful quote, and that's why I'm spending a bit of time looking at this from an approach that most people may not, may not uh, appreciate or understand, but I believe it's relevant. Ideas have consequences. Okay, and what, whatever is being taught in the universities in the next generation, that's the view of the culture. So these things have to be addressed. Now, scientists do today admit that biologically there's only one race of humans. That's the human race, obviously. There's only one race. 
the concept that we think of when we say the term race is actually more of a social construct. It's often based on cultural differences or appearance and these sort of external features. It's accepted because it's a convenient way to put people into broad categories and, and tragically often suppress certain categories. Now, personally, I believe that the influence, because of the influence of Darwinian evolution, uh, I only gave you just a small snippet of the history there, there's so much more, and all the resulting prejudices that have come from this, I, I really think that Christians should really abandon the term race. I, I would prefer to use something like the term people group. It brings a bit more humanity to the issue, it makes it more personal. See, we've almost been pre-programmed to notice external features that most people assume are the quote-unquote major differences between the people groups. Now, that's not true. The truth is there are only really minor variations among people groups. The difference between any two people anywhere in the world, regardless of which people group they're from, the basic genetic difference would only be around 0.2%. 0.2%. And the so-called racial distinctives that people refer to, such as skin colour or, or the shape of the eye, these, sort, these sorts of things, they only come down, the genetic difference comes down to about 0.01%. 0.01%, so minimal it's in fact trivial. Okay, there is only one race. You see, so if the Bible and science show there is only one race, why do we continue to see such prevalent racism in our culture and in the world today? This is a big issue. Now, the reason is actually very, very simple, although I understand the, the outworking of it through all the political maneuverings and things like that are, are very complex. But the answer is quite simple, and it's because of sin. It is because of the depravity of man's heart. You see, and therefore, the answer to racism is actually found in the gospel. William Wilberforce understood this when he spent his whole life campaigning against slavery. The answers to racism is in the gospel because that is the means by which men get given a new heart. It says in Ezekiel, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh because the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us, it transforms us, it renews us and it gives us new life and it makes us born again. This is the teaching of Christian theology. And the call from that then is to practice what we preach, to walk in the truth, to walk in the light. You see, as Christians, any sort of prejudice be it verbal or physical, due to so-called racial differences, is absolutely antithetical to the calling and mission of someone who claims to be an ambassador for Christ. Because we are all ambassadors for Christ. And what that means is that we represent Christ's kingdom here on earth. Okay? Racism is not part of the kingdom that we represent. And therefore, we should not be involved in it and we should stand against it. We should stand firm against any manifestation of sin that is brought to bear on another human being who is a fellow image bearer of God and also <laughs> comes from the same race as we do, ultimately speaking. And this is why we need to speak the truth in love. And, and this would be, again, a very short answer to some of the issues involved and I do believe this is the ultimate answer to racism. It's that we need a new heart. We need the gospel. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please go to thomasfretwell.com.